Well, I'm glad to be here with you this morning, and I'm sure our experiences in the past week were quite varied. And as we were singing that song about uh, tempest raging, it was interesting to watch your faces, and it was obvious that many of you were were um, engrossed in the, the singing there, and I had to think about wondering what storms you may have passed through, and also the peace that you experienced as you realize that no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. And I'm sure that in the week to come, our experiences will be varied as well. But there is one event coming this week that I'm sure occupies the minds of many people here. And John already introduced what that is. That is the return to school for many, in one capacity or another. And that is the fact that led me to the sermon that I'd like to uh, preach, with, uh, preach here this morning. Promoting God's values in Christian education is the theme that uh, we want to focus on. I'd like to start with a story about a student I once knew, a student whose name was Jeff. Now, Jeff was not your typical junior high student. He was one of a kind, and he was unpredictable. You never quite knew what to expect out of Jeff. Often, Jeff rode his bike to school, but some mornings, Jeff would leave home on his bike and never show up at school. It was anybody's guess where he spent those days, and when he was given an absence report to take home to report where he had been that day, he would forge his parents' signature so that they would not know that he actually did not show up at school that day, and so that he could write that he was sick. Jeff would sometimes turn in assignments that were completed by his sister. And... The stories of his success in hunting would change throughout the day as he heard the stories from his classmates, and he tried to come up with a story that would equal or excel their accomplishments. I don't recall ever meeting Jeff's father or of seeing him at any school function. The last I heard about Jeff... He was serving a prison sentence because he had gotten into an argument with his girlfriend and got very angry with her. And shortly after that, he took her along groundhog hunting. And when they reached the backside of the field, he shot her. I had the opportunity to be Jeff's teacher for one year. That means that I spent 180 days with him. Well, minus the days that he played hooky. God gave me nine months of opportunity to touch that young man's life. And so that begs a question. What impact did I have? Did I make a difference in his life? Did I actually touch his life? You know, as Jeff spent time sitting in prison, it must have been tremendously comforting to him to know that he once had a teacher who tried to teach him 
how to diagram a compound complex sentence. He must have found great joy in knowing that he had a teacher who tried to teach him the complicated process of extracting the square root of any number without a calculator. If Jeff had lived in this community, he could have learned how to diagram sentences and extract the square root without a calculator at any of the Pequay Valley or Conestoga Valley schools. So why bother? There must be something more that we are looking for, much more. What are we looking for in a Christian education? I'd like to look, first of all, at the purpose of a Christian education. And some might say, well, the purpose of education is to provide information. Well, that's true, but any school can provide information. And in fact, if that's the only thing we desire for our young people, information can be found anywhere, literally. We live in the information age, and almost anything you, know, you want to know, you can find out in a matter of seconds. That information is available. So what are we looking for in our schools beyond information? What is the purpose of spending thousands of dollars each year in addition to the taxes that we pay for our children's education or a Christian education? So obviously there's something more that we're looking for. What is it that we're looking for? A good atmosphere? Possibly. Are we looking for social interaction? and a positive cultural experience? Perhaps. Are we looking for the opportunity to be involved in sports with other similar schools? For some, yes. Are we looking for the opportunity for hands-on experience and skills in various tasks and trades? For some, yes. So if the purpose of education is to provide information, what is the purpose of a Christian education? I'd say the purpose is preparing our young people for life, and there is one goal, one purpose that should exceed all others, and that is transformation. So the purpose of a Christian school, information is overshadowed by transformation. The world wants to inform. God wants to transform. And that is the primary purpose of a Christian education, to see the lives of young people transformed by the power of God. Is information bad? Certainly not. We need it. But we need more than information. We need transformation. A couple verses. Romans 3, verses 11 and 12 there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. If we want our young children to be transformed, we need help. And the world can't give it because the world doesn't have it. The world does not understand the transformation process. The educational systems of this world cannot make us into good people. They might make us into smart people, 
educated people, but they cannot transform. Only God can do that. Romans 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is the purpose of a Christian education. Another verse, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Learning that leads to salvation, to transformation, is the number one purpose of education. Now, sometimes I think we, we look at school, at Christian education, as a, a necessary alternative. We don't like the public system, so we have to come up with something else. I think we need to look at it more than just simply a necessary alternative. It's not a last resort. It's a tremendous opportunity that we have, and we need to see it as an opportunity, not only to avoid, but to accomplish so much more, and that is the transformation of lives. Now, notice I say education. I'm not talking this morning only about Christian schools. I'm talking about Christian education in a broader sense. It starts in the home. It continues in the church, and it continues in schools as well. But as we educate our young people, this needs to be our number one goal, that of transportation, uh, transformation. Furthermore, we might say that the purpose of an education is to prepare for a profession. Isn't that what school is all about? Well, it is learning schools, the skills, learning the skills that are necessary to compete in this world and to do them well. Certainly it is. Education is about being equipped with a variety of tools so that we have what we need for the profession that we choose. That's certainly what it is. That's what education is. But when we look at Christian education, we need to look beyond profession. Profession is overshadowed by mission. The world wants us to have a profession, wants to give us a profession, but God wants to give us a mission. Is a profession bad? Absolutely not. A profession is good, but as believers in, in Jesus Christ and followers of God, we need more than a profession. We need a mission. We need a mission in life. And God gives us a clear mandate to teach our children. You can find it in the Old Testament. You can find it in the New Testament. God wants us to teach our children. There's no question about that. But nowhere in the Bible are we told specifically to teach them to be good construction workers, to build a good pole barn, or to build a good mini barn. Nowhere are we told specifically to teach them to be good accountants, or good businessmen. Yes, that is involved, but we are told specifically what to teach them. The Bible is clear. Deuteronomy 6, much of that chapter uh, focuses on teaching our children. I'll highlight two verses, verses 1 and 7. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, and thou shalt teach them 
the commandments, the statutes, and the judgment diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Fathers, mothers, grandparents, teachers, that is our mission, to teach the commandments of God. Another verse, Ephesians 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is our mission. It goes beyond profession. And there's many more verses. Read the book of Proverbs. Read the book of 2 Timothy. As, as Paul was passing the torch onto Timothy, he focused a lot on the mission of his life. So profession is overshadowed by mission. And as parents, teachers, grandparents, whoever we are, our mission is to give our children a sense of mission to carry on God's mission. That is the purpose in life. More important than any profession is for our young people to have a mission, a sense of God's purpose in their life. This is why God planted me here on earth, to proclaim his word, to share his goodness to others. And perhaps that mission may lead them to a profession. That's great if it does. A profession which enhances or enables them to carry out their mission. But profession should always be overshadowed by mission. So this is the purpose of a Christian education, that people can be transformed and that they could be overwhelmed with a sense of mission of what God wants them to do. Let's move on and look at the participants of a Christian education. Who are the participants? Well, of course, there's teachers. And I want to especially recognize this morning the, the 17 people from our church who will be serving as teachers this year. And I say, God bless you. It is a high calling. I'm not sure there's a higher calling. It's one of the highest, in my opinion. But before the rest of you conclude that this sermon is focused only on those 17 people, let me remind you, I said before, we're not talking only about Christian schools. We are talking about Christian education, and that involves every one of us, everybody. The participants of a Christian education include everybody. Everybody should be involved in teaching others. And I believe that every person here is a teacher. Every person here teaches other people. Uh, you might wonder about that. But I'm guessing that even little Edna has already taught Virgil and Josie a few things. And if she can be a teacher, I suppose any one of us here can be as well. So education involves everyone. So if you're here and you're breathing and your heart is beating, you're a teacher. And we need to carry a vision for that. So the participants are everyone. Christian education is a teamwork effort that involves everyone. It's a tremendous opportunity that we have, and we'll talk more about that 
teamwork later on. Now, for the rest of the message, I'd like to look at the pattern of Christian education. We looked at the purpose, we looked at the participants, and now we're looking at the pattern. And I'd like to look at some characteristics that should set Christian education apart from other education, that should identify our education as distinctively Christian. So, what should Christian education do? Number one, a Christian education should emphasize every individual's accountability to God. Every individual is accountable to God. Every student, every child should be made aware that they are accountable to God. And this is an aspect that I believe is totally lacking in the public education system. In fact, this point may be the most defining difference. It's been now about 60 years since Bible reading and prayer have been removed from public schools. And in those 60 years, our society has plummeted into chaos. All you need to do is watch the news. This year alone, in less than eight months, there have been more than 400 mass shootings in our country. That's an average of almost two per day. What can you expect when you try to remove God from the system? What can you expect except chaos? No other control. People talk about control. No other control will ever replace the awareness of our accountability to God. We may try what we will, and it will fail. Not only, do our public not only does our public education system intentionally not mention God by avoiding Bible reading, prayer, and so forth, they take it farther. They intentionally try to replace God with something else. And we as believers understand that all of life began and begins with God. Without God, there is no life, period. We understand that. For the last 150 years or so, this truth has been increasingly under attack. Charles Darwin is described as one of the most influential figures in human history. Now, I don't know if you agree with that statement or not, but when it comes to the general direction of education, I tend to agree. The influence of his teachings has had tremendous impact on our schools. And why do I say that? I'll just try to follow along. So, what is the big deal about where we've come from? What is the critical issue behind this thing of where we come from? Why are people so intent on providing some explanation of our origins apart from God? And it's not just a matter of giving credit where credit is due. I think there is a reason why our culture is intent 
on providing or coming up with some other explanation or story of origins. You see, if God indeed created us, that means that there is a God. And if there is a God, that means that we are accountable to him and that we will need to answer to him. So I don't think the big question is where we come from. The question that people are dealing with, that society is dealing with, is where we're going and who we are accountable to. You see, if there is no God, I have no eternal accountability and I can live entirely as I please. And at the end of my life, it will make no difference whatsoever. That opens the door wide. So these people who promote evolution, I don't think they're so concerned about where we come from. They're concerned about where we're going and who we need to answer to. The real issue behind evolution is our accountability to an eternal God. Our Bible gives us an accurate description, I believe, of our public educational system in 2 Peter, and I'm going to read a few verses from 2 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Think of our society and our educational system today, and I know when we talk about false prophets, we often think of our church, but let's think of, of society in general. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Does that describe our society? Swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Jumping ahead to chapter 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fall asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. They're willingly ignorant of the fact that God created the earth. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You see, we are accountable to an eternal God. That's what this is bringing out. What sort of persons ought ye to be? Somebody who understands that God is, that God created the world. A Christian education needs to emphasize that we are accountable to God. God is God created, and God requires accountability on our part. I believe that the theory of evolution and the accompanying idea that there is no God that I will give account to is the root cause for many of the ills that pervade our society today. You see, if there is no God... Well, then I can decide everything about life. I can decide if I want to live with the woman I married or if I want to live with someone else. If there is no God and if the Bible is not true, I can decide if I want to live with a woman or with another man. 
where I can decide which gender I wish to try to be, to act like. Where if there is no God and the Bible is not true, then I can decide if my unborn child, child should die or live. You see, if there is no God, then I can be my own God. On the other hand, if there is a God, I need to come to grips with the idea that someday I will answer to him for every decision I make about all these issues. So I think it's no wonder that society tries so hard to avoid the fact that there is a God because it's all about accountability. I think every member of our families needs to be aware that they are accountable to God and they will give answer to him. And if they understand that, it will affect how they live when they're on their own, when they're all alone, when they're with their peers, where they spend their time, who they hang out with, and so much more. Let's move on. A Christian education should emphasize our accountability to God. It should also prepare a student to serve wherever God calls him. We're not talking here about profession, but about mission. A Christian education should prepare a student to fulfill God's mission for his life. Now, we could ask the question here, what is the most important subject in school? If we divide the subjects of school into four categories, four categories, we have math, we have language, which includes learning to read and grammar and vocabulary. We have history, which can include geography and social studies and historical facts. We have the sciences. What is the most important of these four? It would be interesting to hear your feedback. It would be interesting to hear some discussion. And I think I already know what some of you would say about that. In short, the most important subject is what the student needs to be successful in the work that God is calling him to do. And I'm not sure that we can really nail it down to a, a, an important subject or the most important but I would like to promote one of them this morning. And that is a subject that I think may be most overlooked in many of our Christian schools, and that is language skills. I appreciate the language teacher we have at Faith High School. She has specified that her goal in teaching her classes is to teach her children to communicate their faith verbally, and in writing. I think that is a high goal. Now, it might be interesting that I should emphasize this particular class when it was my least favorite subject when I was in school. And I'm probably still suffering from the <laughs> results of that today, which I continue to work on. And, and I'll just expound on that a little bit farther. We put very high emphasis on a good work ethic and learning basic skills. 
And our families produce some of the best builders and craftsmen around. They may lay a perfectly straight block wall or produce some of the finest kitchen cabinets or whatever. And that's great. Our children should have a good work ethic. We should have a good work ethic. Produce outstanding work. Sloppy work is a poor testimony. That's good. But here, here's my point. We put high emphasis on training good masons and carpenters and programmers and accountants and businessmen. Do we put just as high of an emphasis on training writers and teachers and preachers and translators and songwriters? And if not, why not? You see, that is a way of communicating faith in a direct way. And I think part of preparing our students to serve God should be developing good communication skills. Every student should be taught to express his thoughts in a logical, coherent way in both speaking and writing. I, I've been appalled at some of the written communication that I have received from ordained men. Some of it looked like it was written by someone struggling to get through fourth grade. And I had to ask, how can this man preach? I think we need to teach our young people to be prepared to serve God in communicating their faith. Whether you're a missionary, you may learn to lead, need to learn another language. Perhaps God will call someone here to be a Bible translator. Other languages, a good basic understanding of this is, is essential. Now, I emphasized one, and I'm not going to say that the others are not important. I expect that our young children will know that Christopher Columbus discovered this continent in 1492. I expect that they may know that the adult human has 206 bones in his body, and they should even be able to name some of those bones. And it doesn't even hurt if they can quote the value of pi to 50 decimal points. These things are good. They all help us to prepare to serve God wherever he calls us. That's the value of a Christian education. Number three, a Christian education should be a teamwork effort. And I think we have a wonderful opportunity here as a church, as, as fellow believers, to be involved in a teamwork that far exceeds anything that is possible in the public system. It's a privilege we have. It involves the home, the school, the church, the community, and the student himself. Sometimes we might think, what's well, the responsibility of the teachers to teach? What's well, also the responsibility of the student to learn? I'd like to think a little bit about this idea of a teamwork effort as we think of education. What is your mentality? For you as students especially, and teachers and parents, what is your mentality as you sit in school and learn day after day? Do you think of this as a 
student versus teacher. Should I say conflict? The teacher gives the orders and the student needs to obey. The teacher said it, so I have to do it. Well, that is one perspective, student versus teacher. Or maybe we could look at, well, okay, the student and the teacher are, are kind of working together, but then it's the student versus the books. I, I've got to do the assignments because they're in the book. It's what I have to do. Well, that's, that's another mentality. But remember, we're talking about teamwork. And I think a proper view looks at it as a student and the teacher and the books and the parents all working together as a, stu as a team to prepare the student for life. You're all on the same team. Teachers, students, parents, church. We are working together. And as a student, it's good to recognize that. These people are on my team. They're helping me to prepare to be a winner at life. And the more we work together, the more effective we will be. And the more prepared the student will be. So student, remember, the teacher is on your team. Christian education is the home, the church, and the school working together as a team. And that is essential. I'll share another example. I once had a, a junior high student that I really struggled to connect with. This student would basically ignore me from the time she got to school to the time she left. And she struggled in her studies. And, and I tried to help her. I tried to work with her one-on-one. -on -one, and it just wasn't getting anywhere. So PTF came around, and her parents came to school. So I, I talked to them about my struggle, and I, I said, I just feel like I, I can't connect. This is their response. Well, that's how she always was. Even as a child, she would walk into a room and decide who she was going to like and who she wasn't going to like. And the message I received was, she doesn't like you, she's not going to like you, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's just the way it's going to be. And obviously, I didn't feel like we got very far that year. Teamwork is vital in Christian education. And parents, a lot of this depends on us to develop the sense of teamwork. You're doing a tremendous disfavor to your child to ignore that responsibility. Someone has said that a teacher needs to have the energy of a hot volcano, the precision of a Swiss watch, the memory of an elephant, the tenacity of a spider, the skin of a rhinoceros, and the patience of a turtle trying to cross the freeway at rush hour, and the diplomacy of Solomon. So parents, they need your support. It's a teamwork effort. What else should a Christian education do? Number four, it should cultivate a knowledge and love for God's word. 
Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history here that I found fascinating. Why was the public school system developed in the United States? Did you know that the public school system was developed so that our young people could read the Bible? Back in 1647, there was an ordinance passed in the Massachusetts colony which had an interesting name. It was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. That was the name of the law, the Old Deluder Satan Act. And this is what the law stated. It being one of the chief projects of that old deluder Satan to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures. And then this is what they decreed. Every township of 50 families or more shall appoint a schoolmaster to teach reading so that young people can read the Bible and not be deluded by Satan. That was in 1647. How far we've gone in the public educational system. God's word gives light. Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. We are living in a dark world. We need the light. Success comes from God's word. Joshua 1.8, a favorite verse of many people. In this book of the law, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It all comes back to God's word. And I believe that every subject that is taught in our schools should be founded on scriptural teaching, and that scripture should permeate every class in our schools. Number five. A Christian education should cultivate eternal values and priorities. Should cultivate eternal values and priorities. And I, listing, I listed three of those priorities here. The one is, number one is salvation. First priority is salvation. I don't have it on the slide here. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Teachers are available by the thousands. You can find teachers anywhere. But a teacher who has the interest of a spiritual father is a teacher of value. And that is a, a, a priority that we need to teach salvation. The second priority is service. The schools of this world can teach us how to run a profitable business. They can run an excellent academic program or an exciting sports program. And I'm not saying we should not offer these things, but if we don't offer something more, what is the point? Service needs to be a priority that we are teaching. How many missionaries are we producing in our church and from our schools? Are we promoting a vision 
for service? Are we encouraging every one of our young people to spend at least a year or two in voluntary service? And maybe a lifetime. In our schools, are we promoting excitement about eternal values? If our students know more about Jalen Hurts than they do about Adoniram Judson, we have a problem with values. And if we get more excited about LeBron James than we do about the lives of people like William Carey, we are failing to teach values, the values of service. Opportunities for service abound. Even among our neighbors, we need to learn them as children, as youth, so that we will respond to them as adults. And the third value is sacrifice. And I almost feel unqualified to even mention that. We know so little about sacrifice. We live out of our abundance. Are we teaching a willingness to sacrifice? That is an eternal value. In conclusion, I've talked about the purpose, which is transformation and mission. I've talked about the participant. And in short, it's you. Regardless of your age, you have a role in this thing of education. And the pattern, I mentioned only five characteristics that should be evident. There are so many more. I started with many more. I'd just like to leave you to continue to think about that, and I'm sure you can come up with more of your own. I'd like to close with repeating some of these words from Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. God speaking, that the generation to come might know them, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And my prayer is that that be the desire of each one of us. Let's kneel for prayer.